The other day, the President of these United States said this. So chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine. Now, this is a common malaria drug. It's also a drug used for strong arthritis. Uh, somebody has pretty serious arthritis. Uh, also uses this in a somewhat different form. But it is known as a malaria drug, and it's been around for a long time, and it's very powerful. But the nice part is it's been around for a long time. So we know that if it, if, if things don't go as uh, planned, it's not going to kill anybody. Shortly thereafter, a man and his wife were hospitalized in Arizona for following the president's advice. The man died. Trump kept saying this is basically pretty much a cure, the widow was quoted. She went on to say, don't take anything, don't believe anything that the president says his people, call your doctor. I don't know about you, but if you're like me, one of the millions of uninsured Americans in this country, you can't call a doctor. If you are insured, I bet your doctor is already fielding a lot of questions right about now. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and you are listening to Home Fried from Dirty Spoon Media, stories to keep you entertained and informed during the COVID-19 lockdown. These are precarious times, and that can raise some pernicious questions. I have a lot of questions, and I would like to know where to go to have them answered. So I turn to a voice I trust a lot. Sam Thielman is the editor at the Tau Center for Digital Journalism at the Columbia Journalism School. He has bylines at The Guardian, NBC News, and Talking Points Memo. He broke that story about how Donald Trump was exploring a hotel in Moscow while he was simultaneously campaigning to be president, and his reporting has even been cited by the House Judiciary Committee. But beyond that, having known Sam for over 20 years, I've always found him to be a voice of reason, rationale, and common sense. He's the type of person who thinks about things before words fall out of his mouth. He's the type of person who approaches situations with principle and contemplation. He is the type of person that you want to talk to in moments like this. When everyone is in complete panic mode, when headlines blink in capital letters of hysteria, I often find myself clicking on Sam's Twitter feed to see what he thinks. So I figured he would be the perfect person to call to help us sort through this mess of media and help us find reliable sources we can turn to in chaotic times. I caught up with Sam at his home in New York City. I mean, how are things looking in, in the city? Like, what's, what's going on for you guys? When did this all start? When did it really start impacting you? And what yeah. effect has it had on you? Hmm. Well, so I guess, um, I guess it was the beginning of March. Um, you know, things started to get bad with this. And, um, and th- then we started to say things like, oh, you know, it might overwhelm the hospitals. And then you know, oh, we're going to have to take chloroquine prescriptions away from, you know, people who have lupus and give them to people who have COVID. And, you know, it is as as we saw that stuff break in the newsroom uh, where I work um, at the Columbia Journalism Review, I think um, my our editor in chief, uh, Kyle Pope, was the the guy who um, he he was the one of the first people I was dealing with to kind of you know, not give in. He, he, yeah, he has a, you know, he's a funny guy, but he, he, he did not like 
make jokes about it or anything at all, which is, I mean, it's, um, you know, I've been in newsrooms for 15 years. If you're not making jokes about something, that's, that's a bad sign. (laughs) Yeah. That was sobering to me. Um, just for, for him to be talking uh, like like at least a week out about how, like, we all need to kind of be prepared to start working from home. Has it been really challenging to, I mean, it's New York. You've got tiny, known for tiny apartments. Is yeah. it, has it been really challenging? Because you've got a you've got a kid, like yeah, a wife, I, mean, I think like it's hardest your... on my three year old. Um, yeah. I like working from home. I had a very long commute. Um, it's not fun to not have any childcare, and then you know he he does not want to be cooped up, and he doesn't want to be with you know two thirty eight year olds. He wants to be with little people his own age playing with cars and running around on a scooter and shouting and climbing on things and uh, make it a mess. And um, so we try to, it's cut a lot into our, um, I, I hate to say, (laughs) I worry that saying this is going to make me unemployable, but like, (laughs) I feel like I've tried to um, sacrifice job time for kid time as much as I can. Yeah. Um, How could you not? Like, <laughs> his problems are, well, his problems are so basic. They're right. so, they're so small and normal and they're to do with, you know, who will read me a Donald Duck comic and who will play cars with me and who will do dinosaur voices and like that. Just, just sort of having that kind of immediacy is really a thing that's keeping me sane. Yeah. But the apartment uh, is small for three people who are in it every imagine. hour of every day. Has it been tough um, to stay inside? Also, it just feels inside? weird to go outside. <laughs> yeah, I was going to yeah, ask, has well, it been tough to stay inside or is it more scary to go outside? Well, I mean, so that, there's been kind of a curvature with that. Like it was um, – at first it was like, oh, man, I, you know, I, I, I want to walk around a little bit. And before all the businesses closed, I'd walk over to the comic book store and walk up and down through the aisles, you know, while I was on a phone meeting just to, you know – clear my head and um support local businesses rah rah but also like i guess yesterday i went out with lev my son um because he needs to you know move and so we um there's like a school where they 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 left the, they've locked the playground up but left the blacktop open so the kids all go and run their scooters around and do social distancing um but uh yesterday it was just like the apocalypse like you know, there everything that wasn't opened at 2 a.m. on Christmas morning was closed in the middle of the afternoon. Wow. And um, everybody's wearing these, you know, N95 masks, and you know, Lord knows where they get them. And um, there was there was one kid doing skateboard tricks on this sort of blacktop area that's usually packed with children, and it wow. just it just it just felt like everything was covered in like an invisible film of death that was going to rub off on your hands and make it into your food and, you know, kill you in a few days. I mean, that's been the stressful thing, I think, is is this feeling that like, am I already dead? Like, right. I might be. <laughs> I might be, John. <laughs> like this, this, I could easily, I could easily be dead. Like in two days, I could, something I like picked up, like I have to take my kid outside, right. but like... Two days from now, I could have, like, not wiped my hand, you know, the right way or missed a spot washing my hands or stepped on something. And, like, 
I'll get COVID-19 at the height of the respirator or ventilator crisis. And then even though I'm a healthy guy, like it won't matter because I'll, you know, need medical care that will be completely unavailable for the next little bit. Like that could already, that could have happened like yesterday. Yeah. Could have happened a couple hours ago when I had to, when I took him out to play. Like, it, you know, yeah. so it's, it's that, that sort of constant fear that like, I'm a dead man walking is, um, that you screwed up two weeks ago and it could all, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, well, and, and, and worse, you know, maybe, maybe I've done this to my family. Like maybe I've hurt my wife. Like maybe I've, you know, the guy I, you know, gave a, you know, exorbitant tip to who brought me Chinese food the other day. Maybe it's like an exorbitant tip with like, a lethal virus attached to it. Right. Like it's just that all of that sort of catastrophic, you know, fiction writing that goes on in your head at moments like these is really stressful. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you can only, you, your, your brain only lets you do so much of that. <laughs> right. But I got to say the weeks feel a lot longer. Like I get stressed out and tired by Wednesday in a way that I was not stressed out until, you know, like a really end of a really long Friday two months ago. Um, I start the day pretty upbeat and then, you know, as it wears on, it just starts to feel like nothing has any point. Um, but I mean, this is all part of (laughs) some of this is like, uh, you know, endemic to me personally. This is just about the way I function, uh, the way the city functions. But I do think that the way the city functions suggests that a lot of other people are going through this at the same time. I can, I can only imagine. So, yeah. What are you doing to stay upbeat? How are you, how are you staying on top Um, of it? Well, there was, I mean, I had a stack of books to read, but it's hard to concentrate. Um, I'm playing video games. I'm reading, you know, old comics. Um, I'm, uh, I have a history of Brooklyn that I'm trying to get pretty good. Um, I, uh, yeah, the, that kind of escapist stuff mostly and playing with my kid who yeah. is really cute and, uh, yeah. and, and has a good time. We're watching a bunch of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We're watching a bunch of old, uh, Disney and, uh, studio Ghibli movies and he's, oh, nice. he's having a good time with those. Studio so, Ghibli is the way yeah. to, the way to get through this, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. And my, and my, um, my, wife is an amazing amazing cook and so she is like we've been bringing stuff home you know from the grocery and it, i'll i'll be like i'm sorry they only had you know two cans of beans or whatever and then there'll be some incredible thing that comes off of the range yeah what does that PM, look like i'll be like wow what does that look like well, trying to manage a pantry in new york city right now so it's a little strange because it it um it depends a lot on what neighborhood you're in. Uh, so I am in Bay Ridge, which is a very um, uh, there's a lot of Arab culture, uh, there's a lot of um, recent Korean immigrants, um, and and that like a lot of these folks open grocery stores that remind them of home. Yeah. Um. So we have a, a wonderful um. Uh, like halal market called Baladi, like a supermarket. It's not like a meat market. Um, and uh, then we have um, 
you know, Key Food and Seatown and all the normal chains you have any other neighborhood up here. But uh, one of the funny things is you'll go down the, like, the beans aisle or whatever, and they will not have anything. Like, they will be sold out of, like, dry lentils. Like, you cannot, <laughs> no beans, no rice, no nothing. But if you go to the, um, and please hear the scare quotes, the ethnic food section, um, which for some reason is where the key, key food people put, like, all of the, all the, both the fool and the, like, Goya refried beans, <laughs> everything <laughs> right. else, then it's full, it's full up because the people who, um, uh, who prefer those cuisines don't shop at key food. They shop at their own supermarket down the street. Yeah. So that's been a little bit funny. Uh, uh soup, nobody has soup. Um, there's been a ridiculous run on toilet paper. Oh my God. That's um, everywhere. Wh- that is everywhere. Well, it's like, why? Why are no you, idea. <laughs> no idea. That's not where the supply chain is going to break. It's easy to buy and make toilet paper. You should maybe order your meds a month in advance, but like, right. there's not. We're not going to run out of TP. I promise. You're not going to poop more. Um, anyway, but again, you know, Pam can cook anything with anything. So yeah, that that makes my life a lot better. For sure, for sure. That's great. So I guess. Uh, Let's talk about sourcing information sure. in an era of panic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's quite difficult. Um, it's especially difficult because the media has fallen down on the job so hard during this particular crisis. Um, you had all this fear-mongering from the right right before it started, and then everybody in the left was resp- – I mean, not, not the left. I'm sorry. You had all this fear-mongering among conservative media, which is not real news by and large, and then the – Normal media reacted to that by publishing things like, oh, it's not even as bad as the flu. And then as soon as it became clear that the Trump administration wasn't doing anything to mitigate this and was just sort of hoping that they could not address it and that keep people and keep people from getting tested, um, those roles like flipped and you had conservative media saying, oh, it's, uh, you know, our dear leader is doing everything. There's power to stop this virus, which isn't even going to be that bad. It's not as bad as the flu. And then you had, um, you know, real media saying, oh, this is all like this is a huge disaster. This is a gigantic public health failing. Yeah. Um, in a way, that makes sense because there have been pandemics that have been handled much better than this by previous administrations. Obama's response to H1N1 was um, extremely like farsighted and rapid and um, I think kept a lot of people from dying, even though that was a terrible plague that killed like a – I think it killed like a million people over 10 years. Wow. Uh, but again, that's over 10 years. Um, this is going to kill a lot of people a lot quicker. Um yeah. But uh, it's um, I think now there's a lot there's a concerted effort to parse this information by um, by good actors, by um, by Johns Hopkins University. Um, I love The New York Times's page. I feel like they're doing a good job. Um, there's a website called covidtracking.com that's just raw data from all of these um, uh, states' uh, um, public health um, divisions, and the yeah. data is graded. Like they say, you know, this is this is we give we give them an A for transparency or a D for transparency or huh. whatever. Um, 
so we still have one really big problem, which is we don't have a denominator in the number of cases. Um, you know, we have the number of people, we, we, ha we have like a number of established cases, but we don't know out of how many, because it's not clear who's being tested. It's not clear why they're being tested. And we don't have, it's, they're not being sampled by anything yeah. by, you know, in, it's not, it's not like they're testing every fifth person in the phone book. Right. Um, so it's really hard to tell how many people have this. Um, I think generally going to, um, and I mean, I'm a little biased here because I work for a university, but I, I've been really thrilled to see universities stepping up and um, trying to provide not just good information, but good information communicated like effectively and dryly and well. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. So the Johns Hopkins page is really good. And then um, uh, the Lancet, which is a, a medical journal um, published in the UK, um, now has like a big page devoted to coronavirus. And with people like John Cornyn, um, the senator from Texas going on television and telling everybody that he thinks that coronavirus happened because Chinese people eat bats. Um, it's really useful to have somebody who can be like, actually, that's not even how zoonotic diseases work. Like it probably did originate in bats, but it's not from eating them. It's from something that like got into bat guano, like a pig or something that got into bat guano. And then like, you know, came too close to a human and sneezed on it or something, sneezed on him or something like there's, there's all kinds of like, um, useful information that I actually do find kind of calming to read because I just feel like the more I know, the better prepared I am. Yeah. That may be an illusion. If you know, a meteor is going to, you know, crash into Brooklyn tomorrow. There's not a whole lot you can do <laughs> besides try to try to get on one of the trains, but, um, it's, uh, it does help me prepare myself at least. Um, How would you define, I mean, like we're talking about what is good data and what, what is, what is not. Um, how would you, yeah. how would you square that difference? How can, how can the average layman recognize bad data or bad information or, or, or bad news? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's very hard. I think, and I, I don't do it right every time either. Um, we actually have a guide to open source uh, intelligence, which is what spy agencies call this stuff, uh, on the Tau Center's website that I highly recommend. I'll send you a link. Um, but it's uh, it's um, one of our guys who um, was an investigative reporter for Newsweek for a long time, wrote it up for us, and it's really good. Um, but one of the things that is, you know, it's it's always worth checking the source and it's always worth checking the source's credentials because sometimes you'll see people who will say, I am a, like, I have a doctorate and I think that buying bleach and then rubbing it on all your food is going to prevent you from getting coronavirus, you should probably ask what that person's doctorate is in <laughs> and, and where it, where it came from. And when they got it, <laughs> right? Um, so th there's a uh, like there there was a guy at the um, 
at the Federalist who wrote the other day that he thought we should have chicken pox parties style things and, and, and do controlled infections of coronavirus. Oh um, and he, he, well, but he was an MD is the thing. He's an MD. He, his, his license had lapsed and he wasn't allowed to practice medicine, but he, you know, I can certainly see people, you know, who are at least trying to do that much information verification, scrolling to the bottom of the page and being like, Hmm, well, he says he's a doctor. Um, yeah, but, uh, it's hard. It, I think, Generally speaking, you want to pay attention to corrections. Um, you want to you want to look for places that are saying that have like changed their tune and and sort of see whether or not they admit making a mistake in the first place. Right. That is a real. That is always a mark of a good institution. Um, I mean, I think they're, that's they're being the, accountable for it. They're actually showing right. you that they did the wrong thing and that they owned up to it instead of just removing it from their page. Yeah, and they have a, and they have sort of a. I mean, this is why um, just scientific data and modeling is is um, useful. Is that there's a process in place for what to do when your model blows up or when your, um, you know, you turn out to have like not carried the two. Like there's a there there are steps you go through because it's admitted that everybody makes mistakes and that we're you know no different than anyone else and that we're going to make mistakes too. So I think that's always a good way to vet um, a publication is do they publish corrections? Um, but I also think that like in terms of fast moving information, just slow down. That's the only that's the only piece of advice I can give you that there will never be. There's no addendum to. Yeah. Like just just like. If you see that email from your grandmother, if you see that Facebook post from your racist friend from high school, if you see that, you know, article that looks too good to be true in a magazine that you kind of don't tell people you read, like, just take a minute and, like, think about the thing that you want most to be true from the piece and then see if you can find somebody else saying it in a way that is less attractive to you. And if you can, then it's probably true. Um, <laughs> it's hard to want things to be true. I mean, I kind of think that that's what, what got us here. Yeah. You know, we, I, I think one reason people refuse to take this seriously for so long is that it's, it's unimaginable. Yeah. But just because it's unimaginable doesn't mean it can't happen. That that is a hard lesson to learn. Um, it's a reason that the sciences tend to be better at times like this than they are, you know, dealing with big social structural problems, is because they're not concerned with what has happened before necessarily. They're concerned with what is possible. Yeah, and um, we're discovering what the limits of the possible are at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and new things happen all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, especially in an age of constant inundation on social media, like it's just hard to to parse those yeah. things out for a lot of people. And I think what do you say to people that are like I mean, there's a general distrust of the media right now. And yeah. I use that term the media very loosely. True. Um, and you know, there's people that my dad's never going to trust the New York Times. Just period. Yeah. Like, what do, you, what do you do with people like that that are, especially because a lot of the people that are not going to trust these sources are some of the people that are most vulnerable to this disease? Yeah. I mean, that's really hard. Um, that's not a question I know a good answer to. Um, I, I wish I did. I think, um, you know, 
the I would say that if to to folks who are like who have a problem with big institutional um, news outlets like the Times, I would just say locate somebody at like I would say locate somebody at an outlet that feels trustworthy to you and and follow the individual's reporting. And, and I, I do think that there are, I mean, there the Times and the Washington Post and the um, the Wall Street Journal and so forth, which I think is a good um, thing to, to recommend to people who um, sort of feel like the Times is enacting its liberal agenda or whatever. You know, big major daily newspapers are going to have reputable public health reporters and those people will be worth um, – it'll be worth learning their name and seeing what they're saying. Yeah. Uh, it'll be worth seeing what they're doing on social media. The problem comes when you get people who you know invested in PayPal when it was still a startup uh, who, who think that they can save the world now. Or when um, you have an economist giving you health advice. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, that's, that's a lot of it. I mean, I think even economists have to go to school, but the, <laughs> the, 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 the sort of rich tech bro guys who go on medium and tell everybody how they think the world should work or a hazard to our society. Yeah. But, uh, and I, I think the most important thing is to know the difference between reporting and opinion, which is really hard because everything's sort of atomized on Twitter. You know, you yeah, get a, define a link that to, for you us. get a, well, so you, the, the opinion pages are completely separate from the editorial pages at every major newspaper worth anything. And when you see something that says, you know, if generally speaking, if the author's name comes up in the headline, then it's not reporting. But the, I mean, you often you have to look anyway. You, you know, you have to say, oh, is this an opinion column? Is this being written by somebody who's paid to like look at politics and come up with a clever phrase about them? Um, because those folks have a lot of utility when it comes to like figuring out how to think. But in terms of figuring out what to think, they were the last people we should be going to. <laughs> and so there's a lot of, um, if you, if you make sure that you're seeing something, you know, from the news pages of the paper, and then it'll have a section name, it'll say arts or, um, you know, politics or health or whatever, then, I think you ha you stand a better chance of coming across good information because there's a there's just a sense among way too many opinion editors that putting opinion at the top of the article in very small letters is an excuse to say absolutely anything you want. Right. And that that I think is part of the reason that people don't trust the media is that there's um they're just big sections of the paper devoted to people making things up or you know telling lies that support a particular political position. And that's confusing and requires you to devote more time than you probably ought to, to understanding what actually comports with measurable reality in the, in the paper that you're paying, you know, $4 of your only, you know, bank account to read. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of sympathy for people who don't trust the media, but I also think that there are ways to, comb through the media for people who are acting in good faith and without any kind of a political um, sort of uh, uh, motive. But uh, it's also hard because I feel like the people who 
um, are most opposed to, you know, biased news tend to tend to put their faith in the worst possible um, organizations. I, I do think anybody who's like everybody, I think any news organization that says all news is biased, we're just biased and tell you how we're biased. Like that is just really the mark of somebody that is trying to mislead you and steal from you. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing that always just makes me crazy about, you know, reading conservative media is the, there's the sense that like, Oh, well we're, we're just the ones who admit that we're, you know, stretching the truth. Well, right. I don't, I don't think that you're, that they're like self definitions are any more honest than anyone else's. So if they're admitting that they stretch the truth, that suggests that they're just telling enormous whoppers all the time <laughs> rather, <laughs> rather than these sort of annoying little lies that get, um, you know, get you in trouble at, uh, at, at legitimate newspapers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to tell with all the hysteria sometimes too for people what is what is real and what isn't because I mean yeah. especially you know I'm I always just say just don't watch TV just don't watch the TV news yeah I mean TV news is is, is awful there's there's no good TV news yeah <laughs> um, sixty minutes is okay um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the 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 rest of it's horrible trash but uh, but also you know. The you know TV news comes to you in a sort of a reliable way, and the internet just feels like the wild west to a lot of people. I think. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah, and it's um, I feel like the internet's harder to to navigate overall, and just stay consistent with yeah. your sources because you have so many so many perspectives coming in. You know? Yeah, but. and do and I mean I I'm biased on this because I am an individual you know news guy, but I, I do think it's worth reiterating, follow people, don't follow organizations, to, you yeah. know, find a good public health reporter and be like, this is my guy. I'm going to listen to what he says. Anthony Fauci is such a great example of that. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's, um, he's, uh, he works for the Trump administration, but he's also been working in public health for the CDC since the AIDS crisis. Yeah. You know, he, um, he, he was like, uh, he and like Larry Kramer locked horns over um, the Reagan administrations or over the um, I guess the maybe the Bush or the Clinton administration's um, lack of uh, of uh, response to AIDS. It might have been Reagan. Good grief. Yeah, he's been doing it a long time. Yeah. But uh, that's really, you know, people like that are so valuable. Institutional knowledge is the like the thing that makes the New York times, the New York times, yeah. you know, with, without that, I mean, if you want to see, if you want to see like a negative example, think about Newsweek, like nobody good works at Newsweek anymore, <laughs> but they used to like right. Michael is, I believe Michael is used to work for Newsweek. And, um, but now he works for Yahoo news. Like Yahoo news already sounds like a joke, but their national security desk is now, you know, unparalleled because they have this guy who, you know, made his bones writing some of the best NatSec, NatSec reporting in the world and helped that magazine build its brand. Yeah. You know, there's places like that that are really serve as a good reminder that your, you know, publications are only as good as the, you know, staff on the masthead. Yeah. So find, find, find one of those guys and, uh, and, or girls and, and stick with them. Yeah. No, that's, that's good advice. So, uh, what are you What are you reading or watching to take your mind off of this stuff? What are you What are you What oh, are you into see. right now? 
I am playing Control, um, which is a game by the Remedy Entertainment guys. They made Max Payne back when I was a kid, which is a game nice. I really enjoyed. Um, so this one, this is pretty fun. It's about like a, a bureaucrat with sort of X-Men style superpowers who goes deeper and deeper into a building full of um, extremely weird phenomena. It's super fun. Um, nice. And uh, I'm reading Warren Ellis's The Wild Storm, which is great. He's one of the best sci-fi writers in any genre, I think. Um, it, it's a uh, it's terrific, uh, terrific book, a uh, comic book. And um, then I've got uh, I've got uh, Thomas J. Campanella's uh, Brooklyn: The Once and Future City, um, which I'm excited about. And uh, I have the the most recent Julian Barnes novel on the shelf too, which I I think when I calm down a little bit will really enjoy. Right. But at the moment, it's hard to concentrate on prose. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's you know just got to be scary having a little one to to put it all yeah. in perspective for you. Yeah, I should say I'm I'm also reading a lot of the Karl Barks style Duck, and uh, <laughs> Go 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 Stop by Chase Miracle Harper and um, I love trucks so yeah I don't want to don't want to leave the oh and Superworm Superworm is very good I bet Superworm um, <laughs> really gets your mind off of things these days it's terrific yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listening listening to a lot of Disney yeah um, yeah Sam Thielman is the editor at the Tau Center you can find his work there and at NBC News The Guardian and Talking Points Memo You know how Sam talked about finding that voice of reason and following them? Well, that's what I do with Sam. I follow him on Twitter at Sam Thielman. That's at Sam, T-H-I-E-L-M-A-N. He is always a voice of reason that seems to be a little calmer than most of the hotheads in the political discourse these days. I often find his views incredibly rational, no matter how much they may kick against the pricks of mainstream narratives. Home Fried is a production of The Dirty Spoon. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and I'm the editor-in-chief. I produce the show and write and record our interstitial music. Catherine Campbell is our editor-at-large, handles our website and marketing, and keeps the grass growing around here. We'll be bringing you fresh episodes of Home Fried every Tuesday and Thursday, with occasional Saturday episodes for as long as this lockdown lasts. To find full episodes of The Dirty Spoon Radio Hour, check out our artwork and our contributing artists, Or to support us by contributing to our Patreon, just go to dirty-spoon.com. And be sure to tune in for new episodes of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour on 103.7 WPVM-LP Asheville, starting this Friday at 5 p.m. You can also subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts by searching for the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour. Always bringing you stories from the people who shape what we consume right here on the Dirty Spoon. Dirty Spoon.